last year, we saved 600,000 hours of time by just a one piece of technology in an annual process. All those wow. hours coming back to people to have much more impact on the business. That's the idea. Welcome to Lead From Within, the podcast for people leaders that explores the fascinating intersection of mental health, leadership, and performance. Hello and welcome to this episode of Lead From Within. My name is Nick Taylor and I am the CEO and co-founder of Unmind. I am delighted today to be joined by Kathy Diaz, the Chief People Officer at Cognizant. Kathy is a distinguished people leader, having served at the helm of a wealth of global organizations, including the likes of Merck, PVH and Pearson, before joining Cognizant in 2020. Kathy takes a truly strategic approach to people leadership, championing the use of emerging technologies such as AI to unlock human values and ingenuity. Beyond the day job, Kathy is a proud mother of two daughters and an enthusiast of Hispanic culture and heritage. Kathy joins us today from New York, where she lives with her family. Welcome, Kathy, and thank you so much for making the time to join us for the conversation today. Thank you so much, Nick. It is an absolute delight to be here today speaking with you, and I look forward to the conversation. Perhaps we could start with um, you sharing a little bit about Cognizant. Tell us about the size of the organization, where your people are, the day-to-day -day, uh, focus of the business. Absolutely. So Cognizant is a, an organization that is very global. We have over 350,000 associates in more than 40 countries, and 250,000 of those associates are located in India in various locations. Uh, we are a professional services firm and a technology partner to the Global 2000 companies. And so we do all things um, to support organizations from their infrastructure, from their digital needs, um, and now generative AI. It is um, a company that is pretty young, it's about, we just celebrated our 25th year anniversary in 2023 on the NASDAQ. And the company has, ex, has experienced explosive growth over that 25 year period. Thank you so much. And I'm, I write in, in understanding that through that explosive growth has been a lot of M&A as well um, of companies joining the Cognizant Group. Yeah, so I think um, in the beginning um, part of the history, the company grew um, quite organically, um, and the demand for our services um, from the you know year two K all the way through current times um, has organically grown tremendously, and then um, the demand for our services have been so great in certain areas that we've been um, we've acquired uh, quite a few companies probably over I would say the last five years or so. Um, to augment um, our own internal talent, which has been terrific. That, I imagine, has been a fascinating journey to be part of. And I'd love to dig into so many of the, the, the things you've touched on there. You know, what it's like to have such a large workforce to be thinking about, uh, what it's like to have such a global workforce, uh, specifically thinking about uh, a workforce in India and what that, the implications of that for workplace culture, particularly around workplace well-being. Um, thinking about the arrival of AI in a very real way. Uh, so topics that I, I'm really looking forward to spending time speaking about. But perhaps before we dig into those, I would love to ask you about you. How, how, um, tell us about young Cathy. How, did you, did you um, 
always think you would be in a people-related world or did you surprised to find yourself where you're at? What were you like when you were young? What were your kind of interests? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I've had, you know, some time to think through, you know, as you look back, you know, sort of how did you start? And um, fascinating, I think, for me is that I really was almost an artist. Um, and so I chose between an accounting major and an art major. Wow. And so you may wonder, wow, that's pretty different. And so I tried both and I decided that I would make a career of accounting. It was something I felt that I was good at, but I spent all of my free time on things that are creative. And so um, it's been a big reflection. So though I didn't choose art as a profession, I've chosen it as a life study outside of work. And how does that impact on your on, on how you see the world, having a creative mind in that way? You know, it is, it's interesting. And, um, you know, I grew up through the total awards um, and then before I took the CPO job and um, some of the things that I worked on were fairly technical and maybe something that you wouldn't think are so creative. And I think that is a little bit of what I bring to the table, which is a bit different perhaps than some of my colleagues is that I really have a creative lens to everything that I do from policies to programs, to the way that we implement things. Uh, I think it's really helped me actually have a really balanced view around, uh, there's always a solution. I always say that, and there's always a multitude of solutions. And so that's how I see um, my job. And there's a lot of ways that we can go about things. And I try different things too. I, it actually makes me sort of free to try different things. I can well imagine how that'd be true. And I imagine it's also interesting having that, um, that, that strong analytical or numerical mindset as well, or ability in thinking about workforce planning and thinking about building strong relationships between high-performing people culture and a high-performing um, finance culture. Uh, has that been a helpful under, a kind of uh, aspect to, to your career as well? Yes, absolutely. And I would say accounting has served me well um, in all of the areas and even in, as an HR person because we all are responsible for budgets and planning and those types of analytical pieces that people may not think about in HR, but there is a quite a lot of technical aspects of HR. So it's certainly helped there. But what I'd like to say is that I like to take data and that analytical uh, part of you know bringing that to the job and actually bringing that forward of how, it, how to tell the story using information and data, which becomes very powerful. So it's really marrying financial information um, the study of, you know, humans and how we all are as people and bringing that together to tell a very compelling story to people. Um, and I, when I say that, I, I mean, you know, the moments that matter to people are on a very human level, but it's also about generational studies and things like that and, and facts. And I'll give an example. Um, in our particular workforce, 90% um, of our leaders are from Generation X, and yet 85% of our population or our associates are in Generation Y and Z. It's very different, different ways of thinking, different ways of wanting to be rewarded and recognized, as well as different ways they experience change and want to be treated. I was reading a McKinsey report recently talking about well-being and the trends in well-being, and it was talking about how millennials and Gen Zs in the consumer world spend more on wellness products more broadly than older generations. And it's, it's very interesting when you think about workplace well-being and how companies talk and think about it in relation to how it attracts or gains the attention or retains particular generations. 
Um, uh, do you think about that in relation to the generational piece? A hundred percent. And I think that in a people company, that's what we are. We are a people company. A lot of our associates will determine whether or not they join us or stay with us based on the way they feel that the company will support their own well-being. And so that's really powerful from, from my perspective. And so it's not, it's not a nice to have, right, Nick, anymore. And so that's one of the things that um, leaders need to be that may have grown up at a different time. There's, there's some, been some paradigm shifts. And I think the way people think about their own, what they want to get out of their life is much different. And I think COVID had an effect on that as well. And it gave people the opportunity to really think through where do they want to spend their time and how do they want to spend their time? And so I think it's become very real for people. And it's part of, you know, what I would call work-life integration. Now that we have a lot of people that are hybrid, um, some coming to the office full-time, some completely remote and some hybrid, um, there's a lot of flexibility that comes along with that. And I think employees in general um, have come to enjoy that part of it. So while they want to have a sense of belonging and connection to a company, it's equally important to make sure they have time to, you know, pick up their kids from school, attend an activity or do a hobby or keep physically active. And so the flexibility that was afforded to people is something that I think they want to take along. Um, and I hear that from all the associates um, at Cognizant, but I think it's not unusual. I think it's across the world that flexibility is now something that's really um, on the top of people's minds. Which is is such a huge cultural shift in the past five years, really, or since since the COVID pandemic. It, it, it has been nothing short of a revolution, really, in the workplace, um, and definitely something for organizations to really grapple with um, in the ways we work and the way we achieve work-life balance. I'd love to come back to that, but Perhaps before we do, if I could ask you just a little bit more about when when you were first choosing your career, when you when you were when when you were um, a graduate and you were thinking about which direction do I go in, was there an inspirational figure? Was there something that grabbed you that made you take this path, or, or was it more of a chance encounter? How did that come about? Yeah, I would say that I'm highly curious as a person in general, and I think that was true even when I graduated. Uh, from college. And interestingly enough, uh, you know, the path that most would have taken with my background is to go to a public accounting firm. And so many of the graduates and many of my friends did that route. And so I took a different route. And my route was to join a, a multinational company um, and do accounting within a company. Even then, I knew, Nick, that I would want variety. And I knew that going to a company that had, you know, a broad spectrum, and it actually I joined a, a rotational program. So that gave me the ability to try out a bunch of different departments and then, you know, make a selection. And, and that was really helpful to just experience. And I think that now institutions do a much better job than they did when I graduated with giving their students many more opportunities to experience a career, whether it be through an internship or a co-op. Those things, you know, happened, but they're much more prevalent now. And I think it really enriches your uh, perspective and it helps you understand, you know, what does that job feel like day to day? So the way that I did that is through a rotational program and it was very smart. So it was pretty soon after I even graduated that I realized that I, I didn't 
I was pretty sure that I wouldn't stay in finance my whole career. I didn't realize that shift would have happened so quickly. So I was really only in the workforce for less than two years. And there was an opportunity that came up in human resources and I, I took advantage and, it, and I've sort of never looked back, um, which, I, you know, I loved my financial background and the experience that I had. Um, and I, it makes me probably a really good partner, I think, for the finance department. Um, but for me to feel fulfilled, I really like to be um, in human resources. What is it you love about human resources? Just the love of people and being around people um, is is probably, you know, sort of at the crux of it, right? So it's just the enjoyment of people and bringing out the best in people. Um, but I also really enjoy process and technology. And I think that, you know, those three things together um, have really formulated how I've paced through my career, even from a very early stage. So it um, a giving an example. So um, a lot of what we do, especially at a people company, but even previously, when you have associate, large associate populations, it's really thinking about the things that you're doing, whether it's a benefit or a policy or a program, how does that, how does the associate on the other end receive that? But it's also doing things and thinking about the process, meaning, you know, how do, how do we explain this to, to everyone? How do you um, make, make it real for people and how do they experience it? And then finally, I really have a love of technology. And so I've had really great opportunities, even earlier in my career, to um, spend time implementing technology, which really help people be much more productive, simplify things. So that's been terrific to take those three things together. Um, has been something that I've had the, you know, the great pleasure of doing throughout my entire career. Love that answer. And it's interesting hearing you talk specifically about technology in that way, because I think it is a, it is a professional world filled with innovation and technology. And do you think that love of technology is a, a really important part of being successful in, in HR? A hundred percent. And I think it's only increasing over, over the period of my career, it's increased. Um, and I think it's an enabler, right? So it's really using technology to enable the business, but also enable people to get their jobs done in the most efficient way so that they're able to spend time on the things that humans provide the most value to. So it's really taking some of the more administrative tasks or things that need to be done and making those simpler so that you can get into the bigger or more strategic aspects of HR. And also it enables you to be thinking ahead, planning for what comes next. And so if you're you know, bogged down with too much administration or things that um, can otherwise be automated, it doesn't enable that. So it's, it's really great. I use it as an enabler. Um, and you know, one of the projects we just did um, last year and the year before, we saved 600,000 hours of time by just a one piece of technology in an annual process. I mean, that is just tremendous, right? And so you think about all those hours coming back to people to, you know, have much more impact on the business. That's that's the idea. And do you think that that quantifiable impact of innovation technology rollout is a prerequisite to um, a long-term successful technology partnership? A hundred percent. And I think that HR over time has become much more technical. So um, all of what we do, we actually, and this is not unique to us as a technology company. I think it's everywhere in HR. Um, the technology that's you know available to us to do you know annual processes 
for people to interact with a piece of technology in, in a consumer grade experience, I think is what people expect. People expect the ease of use of Amazon to come through in their lives daily at their workplace. And so that certainly raises the bar for all of us to make sure that we provide the information in a clear, concise way so that you can, you know, I say it really in three ways. You, you, you view information in a piece of technology, you transact, but probably most importantly is what are the analytics and data and dashboards and things that you um, obtain outside of the system that help you make better decisions? I like the idea of linking that the 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 theme that you were touching on around kind of human potential performance or efficiencies, which I always I think are quite linked um, to technology as well, because really the enabler word that you're using, technology is there to enable us to reach our full potential at work and to remove barriers and to facilitate greater efficiencies, and and it's a critical link between the two. Absolutely. Over your uh, careers, you've gone into more and more senior roles. How have you found managing your um, your personal life, your passions, being a, a parent with the pressures of work? Have you have you found that uh, has it been challenging at times? Have you managed it in a way that you're quite happy with? Or share share that experience a little bit more with us. Yeah, thank you. I had the great opportunity to be at really good companies where I was afforded such great flexibility. So I will say this, my family always came first. And there were times in my career where I was part-time for almost seven years, Nick. So um, that afforded me the time when my children were young to spend the time to be at their school, to uh, manage playdates and have you know an, a rich experience for them. And at the same time, uh, my career has always been important. I, I really enjoy working and I really thoroughly enjoy learning. And so it's really been a great balance over the time. And I think that um, when I look back, there were different times where things were in balance perfectly. And then there were times where it was not quite in balance and I made changes. And so, um, you know, going from deciding, you know, whether you do daycare or a nanny or how do you take care of your children and then how do you fit your work around that I was lucky to have managers that really supported me. And without that, I have to be honest, I don't know that I would have stayed in the workforce because I wanted to make sure that my family was looked after, you know, as a priority for me and, you know, my social relationships and my life. Um, but I also really wanted to make sure that I worked hard to, to fit work in. And one of the best decisions I, I made throughout my life, and I say this often, and hopefully my husband I have to remind him and say this to him too, is that picking a really great life partner that supported me all the way made all the difference because I could have had these aspirations myself, but without a life partner that was right behind me and um, really helping me to um, get all the support and work together as a partnership um, to make our family work was it was incredibly critical. There's something very interesting about um, managing to hold those those multiple identities in our lives. If, if you're somebody who is ambitious and career driven, to introduce a new identity as a parent is, um, as a, speaking as a parent, not always easy to get that balance right. I was listening to a podcast with a very well known entrepreneur who doesn't have children, and he was describing um, his ability to work every hour on his company. And I thought to myself, what a different different experience that might be 
um, to to the experience if you have to balance children in the mix as well. And did you find that there was a conflict of identity at points, or did you find that actually because of the, the what what you just described, it was quite a, a natural blend? Yeah, you know, I think it's um, different times created different challenges. And I would say once I, you know, would get through one stage and say, okay, this is really working well, something new would come into the mix. So it really keeps you on your feet. And I think um, being a planner really helped me. I mean, the calendars that I had with highlights and making sure everybody was where they needed to be was hugely important. You know, meal planning, I wanted to make sure that we had healthy meals. Um, And that doesn't mean that we never ate out. We certainly did. Um, but you know, not as a, not as an everyday. So many Sundays I spent, you know, preparing meals for the week, freezing things. So I think the planner in me really helped, um, so that you can be a little bit more intentional about your week and try to carve the time out, um, as best you can and really spend a lot of time. And so what, what worked for me, and I, I say that everybody has to do what works for them and there's no solution that works for everyone is that I really, you know, I'd work, a, you know, throughout the week and dedicate a good amount of time to my work, um, of course, and have my evenings free. But on the weekends, I really kept that work free mm-hmm. pretty much my whole career. And I think it gave me a few things. One is a creative outlet to do things I enjoyed doing. It gave me time with my family, of course, um, as the first priority. But it also enabled me to you know, arrange my life in such a way that we could we could work through the the work week in a really um, less chaotic way, right? And so, um, you know, I think it. Somebody gave me this piece of advice when I had my first child, and it's a neighbor and a very very good friend of mine. Um, and sh- and she said, you know, do what you think works for you, and then don't be afraid to change it if it stops working. And that was the best advice because sometimes you think, okay, well, this is the way I'm go- going to do it, and then you know, you may be frustrated if it's not working out. And so it's just having that ability to know, you know, this, we need some adjustment here, whether that's some extra help, whether that's, you know, maybe adjusting the calendar. And sometimes I I actually worked four days a week and I did a compressed work week. So I just did different things over the, over that period of time to, um, to adjust to what was happening and it's, and it's fluid, right? So kids have different things. Your spouse and partner takes different jobs in different locations and, so over that period of time, um, and my kids were pretty active in all of their activities. I look back and I say, it's some, some of it is a little bit of a blur, just sort of running right. around doing these different things. But, you know, when I look back, I, I'm so grateful because I really wanted to keep a career and I, we were able to make it work. And so that's what I would say um, is my, my biggest reflection when I look back is not giving up um, and making sure that we kept, you know, sort of making some adjustments, um, to keep a balanced life between work and, and my life and my family life. I was kind of laugh when you talked about healthy meal planning, because I, I, I try with my wife to do healthy meal planning, but I've realized so long as it's white and pasta and there are no vegetables, it will be eaten. If we veer off that, we, we start getting into really difficult food territory. Um, I, I was also struck when you're talking about like having time in life and the boundaries to do the things that are important to you. And I've certainly been guilty in my career of actually dropping my hobbies and my passions and realizing that it leaves a massive gap. And um, I'd be interested to know from you now, now uh, you're you know, in, in your position you're in, an incredibly senior role responsible for so many hundreds of thousands of people around the world. How do you balance the pressure that comes with that? What are your what are your approaches to your own well-being today? 
you know, there's some days that are really great, right, where I feel like things are in balance and I get the time. And then there's other days that are are not, you know, and, you know, a work thing can, comes up and I need to to manage that. And so I may not be able to get to the gym that day or I may not be able to do my hobby. But the way I approach it is I start every single week as a fresh week, right? Some weeks are, and, and it's doing small things, right? So I love at the end of the week, as one example, going to a yoga class on Friday and it's something that I never compromise. Um, it's it's a time that I can get you know get out of the office pretty easily, and it's a great way to segue from work life to the weekend. So that's one example that's really worked well, and it's enjoyable. Um, you know, I think it's um, trying to do at least one thing a day that it brings you joy outside of your work is important. And that could be for me, I enjoy cooking, I enjoy, you know, travel planning, I enjoy talking to my mother, you know, so it can be any one of those things. I don't define it very strictly. Um, but I do try to keep my physical activity um, on the top of the list. And so Nick, just like everybody else, I have my New Year's resolutions of how many days I'll get to the gym. And last night, as an example, I had plans and then um, it was sort of icy out and I thought, all right, well, I'm not going, I'm not going to do that. Now, what I could have done is gone into the other room and done a workout, and I chose not to do that, but I did some reading and I did something else. And so I think it's having a pretty broad definition for yourself and being kind to yourself. You're, you know, yeah. we're humans. We're not going to get all of this balance right every single day and every single week. But as long as you're looking collectively at your last week or month um, and then making adjustments, I think it's a healthy way to, to approach it so that you don't put more pressure because it can feel like so much extra pressure if you're, you know, trying to aspire to get to the gym as an example, five days a week, when real reality is that it's more like four, you know, set an expectation that you can achieve. Yeah, I love that. I think being human as well is really important. I, I, one of my greatest skills is my ability to make a reason that I believe in as to why I shouldn't exercise. I'm really <laughs> good at finding any excuse. Um, but I wish I wasn't. Me um, too, by the way, me too. <laughs> Tell me about, um, the, the, since you've joined Cognizant, how, how has that journey been and, and how was traversing the, the world of COVID and, and, and how has it impacted on how the company operates? You touched on the hybrid working piece. Like how, how did the pandemic impact on how the company evolved? I'll talk about my own experience and then I'll talk about the company more broadly. And so I joined Cognizant in, in the pandemic, right? So it was really fascinating to me that I had only met in my first nine months physically two people. Wow. So just think about that. It's crazy, right? And so then all of a sudden, and so I would say as an onboarding experience, I really needed to go out of my way where you don't have those natural connections where you're in an office and you're meeting lots of people or having lunch. So you're doing it via teams and via, you know, uh, a more virtual environment. So I think the onboarding process probably took longer um, and I had to be a little bit more patient and meeting people a little more slowly, but it made me be very, very empathetic to all, I mean, a third of our people are brand new in the company, right? So we have a huge population of people that are new. So I have a lot of empathy and I understand what that feels like to, you know, not know anybody and, you know, go to your first meeting. And so I think that's why hybrid working is so critical because you you know while we want to retain flexibility for associates you know the first thing is we're a client led organization so as a professional services people company we our 
our associates and our leadership follows what our clients ask of us. And as you know, Nick, every company is working through this and they all have different points of view and perspectives. Some companies, you know, financial services and insurance, they want they want their associates in the office, whereas other industries are much more flexible. And so for our population, it's a unique challenge in the fact that all our associates really need to follow what their clients want, what our clients want and those particular accounts. Um, and so, which we're able to do. Beyond that, we're able to offer, you know, the, the flexible environment, but we are right now trying to make sure that people understand. And I even think for myself, I forgot how much I really enjoyed being in an office until I started getting into the habit of regularly getting into an office. And when now I look forward to going to see my next door neighbor, to see, you know, to have lunch with the group that's normally in, to have a, a chat with the receptionist. I mean, there is something very human about that, that you just don't have when you're home. And I think sometimes, um, or I've talked to people, I think people forgot how much they enjoyed that sense of being with other people. Um, and at the same time, I think, you know, people are, you know, a lot of people I talk to say that they're very productive at home because there is less interruption. So there is that benefit, right, of being very productive in your own work. But when you think about being innovative and collaborative and coming up with ideas, that's much more efficient to be done together. I agree with that. Now, do you stipulate a number of days that you want people in the office or do you leave it to the discretion of a leader or the individual? That's a great question and a complicated one for our workforce. And so let me um, let me take that in a couple of parts. One is I started with client, we're client focus or client first organization. And so the vast majority of our associates are serving clients and we meet those needs of the clients. So some clients want five days a week in the office. Others are good with three days a week. So we follow the client. That's the first piece of it. The next piece is we decide from an account level you know, what is their preference or what do they need? Is it a startup of a new program and maybe we need more people in? So it is very, it's much more decentralized. We do not have a mandate, but we have a point of view that we do want people in the office. And so it's been sort of a natural progression, particularly in India, where I mentioned we have 250,000 people. We have big campuses. We certainly want people together. Um, and it's really exciting for me to see festivals are coming back people coming into the office in these festivals and bringing food in and those things um, had been lost, but it also is the way that we and, and culturally stitch together um, that feeling of belonging to cognizant versus being belonging to another company. Um, in the rest of the world, it's a little bit different depending on the country, but generally speaking in a lot of our European countries, for example, associates are pretty much located around the office and they get in on a regular basis, two to three days a week. Um, and then I think in, in North America, it depends on where you are. Every situation is a little bit different. So it is a fairly nuanced answer. Um, and that's why a hard mandate for our type of company wouldn't make sense necessarily. So we are you know, aiming to achieve our goals with really a decentralized approach. Do you find that that same idea of a decentralized approach applies across a whole range of the functions that, that you're involved with day to day and, and more broadly across the business? Of course, cer certain jobs, you know, and I think it's this is where you get into certain types of jobs are, you know, lend themselves to be remote, right? And so if you're in um, a call center environment or something like that, it really lends itself to a to to being remote. So and that's okay. We have jobs that are just 
designed and are done very effectively in remote working. And then there's other jobs where client interaction every day and working on things are requiring you to be there every day. And then there's a whole boatload of people in the middle that it's a blend, right? It's it's sort of a blend. And and honestly, Nick, we haven't have it. We don't have it all figured out, just like every other company. Um, but our our feeling is that we want to we want to make sure that we meet all of our client um, our client commitments, and at the same time offer associates as much flexibility as we can. Though we want associates, you know, to see the benefit of having an in person enriched engaged experience. And so what one, a few things that we're doing in some of our offices is creating that sense of, um, you know, getting together on a regular basis. And, um, and, and some of the groups are having, um, you know, different, um, you know, speakers come in and events. And I think that sort of gives people a purpose to be in the office. So it's not just checking a box per se, but there's a real purpose as to why you're in the office. And moving now more into the world of well-being, how is well-being spoken about at Cognizant and, and how do you think it should be positioned? Well-being is a um, core part of our offer. And I say as a total rewards or our full package. And it's it's been at Cognizant for a really long time and we've been continuing to augment it. And so it is a core part of what we provide. And so we have um, a piece of technology that uh, we call My Rewards. And that points out to everyone, all, all of our associates in the US and India, um, some of the other locations have other tools. Um, but actually, <clears throat> all of our mental health, you know, all of this, you know, all of our well-being, all the pillars, we have it clearly called out. We have all the programs easily linked to. We regularly host um, different types of um speakers and ways to get engaged. And we have a whole range of benefits around well-being. The other thing that we're doing right now is a well-being ally program, which we just started piloting within HR, and we'll be expanding that beyond HR. And that is to have associates in the company know who a mental health ally is, and um, that person can help help somebody um, and we actually had two situations that a mental health ally was referred to somebody who um, had uh, was people were concerned about suicide and we were able to successfully get that person the help they need. So we are continually investing in the program. And I and I'll say this, I don't think we'll ever be done. Right. So it's one of those things where we're going to continue down the path and we're going to continue to make this part of the fabric of the overall culture. And it's really a culture of well-being that we're trying to instill. It's not sort of only about the programs and the benefits. It's really just the idea that managers are supporting um, associates, you know, each and every day in, in all of the ways that they need to balance their life and their work. So I think the best way is, you know, the company provides the facility and the infrastructure but it really is up to managers to make sure that associates avail themselves of, of the opportunity and feel the permission, quite frankly, to have a work a good work life integration. That's lovely to hear. I think the role of the manager is is so um, so important and and spoken about a lot now in in the way that it absolutely needs to be. Um, one of the the things that I'm very passionate about is really creating the the link between well-being and performance um, and I think what um, historically if we think about what the why is in, in workplace well-being it's often been well why 
because a lot of people are unwell and therefore we want to offer them services or why because we're a caring culture and we're human um and i think those are both totally okay but but i really think the why should be well because we care and we want you to have the right care at the right time and because we recognize that if you're in a good state if you're feeling well and your your well-being is good you are more likely to reach your full potential um and i think that's a really critical a missing piece, generally speaking, in the narrative around well-being. And the reason I think it's um, an important missing piece, or well, one, I think it's it's factually true that if we are generally well, we are more likely to reach our peak performance. But also because um, fundamentally, it moves it away from a uh, a topic which is uh, perhaps sometimes a periphery topic or not a prioritized strategic topic into being fundamentally a strategic priority for the business. Would you agree with the way I've positioned that or, or challenge it? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think it's because um, it's what associates expect. I think it's now an expectation, right? For people, before I felt like, you know, our previous, maybe before the last 10 years, this was no, you know, this was maybe some of the things that were nice to haves or extra, you know, you know, I think well-being is not new, but some of these programs were sort of extra now they have to be part of what your offer is because associates look at it. They want to see, they want to be in a place that supports them more broadly as a human being. And so I think it's now created an expectation. And I think COVID helped actually, because I think it was a time that people reflected more. And I think now they even have greater expectations of the employers they work with. And, you know, and even beyond well-being, it's about companies and what do they do and what do they stand for? And does that align to my values? And so that's, you know, also very critical. So it's a lot of people are taking a look at, it's not just getting a paycheck, right? So it's sort of, you know, what is the package or what is the experience beyond the four corners of the paycheck for people? And so I think well-being sits in the heart of that. There's a lot of things that we need to do. You know, we, we are a hardworking culture, so one of the things that we've spent some time is, you know, really making sure people take time off. And I, and I know that it sounds like a very basic thing, but I do think that we saw a big dip in people not taking as much time off from work and it creates burnout. So, and it's, you know, studies have shown, and Nick, I'm, I know you're an expert in this area that people are much more creative when they do take the time away. When they come back, they're more productive and more creative and come with a renewed sense of spirit and passion so that time off is really critical. Building on that, you see similar um, results as a result of environments people are working in being psychologically safe. Um, and yeah, we know that people will be more creative, will do their best work in a psychologically safe environment where they can show up as themselves without fear. Um, and that's one of the reasons managers are such a critical component to this topic, because We need to help our managers become experts at creating psychologically safe environments where their people can flourish. But the reality is you and I might be deeply passionate about this topic, um, but actually we need to help our managers and leaders understand why they too should be deeply passionate about this topic because they need to understand that they're going to get the most out of their people and their people will become most fulfilled and most engaged by creating that environment. Yeah. And I would take it even another step forward. It's the people that you work with and it's this ability to look out for each other, right? So it's not even always the manager. You could actually be spending a lot more time with your colleagues and having a caring 
culture is really important. And I think one of the things that I love about Cognizant is it is a genuinely kind and caring environment, um, despite the fact that we are, um, you know, a very um, client centric and um, very busy organization, right, with providing um, a whole myriad of services to our clients. It's a very family oriented feel. And I think it comes from just the, the company was fairly small, you know, 25, 30 years ago it was a 3000 person company and now it's 350,000. So I see it as like a big, small company. And so I think beyond the managers, having people care about each other is also a key component. And, you know, look at, you know, some of your people that you're friendly with, even beyond your manager may know when something's not quite right, or just having somebody to talk to, um, those types of things are, are really important as well. I guess really it's every level, isn't it? So it's, it's from the, the board, the, the chief exec, the, the executive leadership team, all the way through the, to the most recent joiner. And you're right, so it's, it's those up-down like hierarchical relationships and it's the, the peer relationships as well. How, how would you describe yourself as a leader? Are there particular models you lean on or think particular things you're passionate about? It's, it's funny, I'm not very hierarchical, Nick. So I can tell you that as a, and I, I truly believe that, um, you know, we are increasingly, uh, organizations are moving toward, um, you know, organizing by initiative and by skill and those types of things. And so I would just say, I, I like to collaborate um, a lot with my colleagues. And so a lot of the things that I, I really enjoy doing is bringing people together um, to solve problems together. Um, and so obviously you have certain functions that are responsible, but I think it really enriches the experience when they are able to take whatever it is they're doing and make sure they have a good amount of stakeholder input on whatever they're doing. And so I think that um, the people that work with me would say that, you know, you, you'll see a lot of teams of people working on things um, more so than, you know, so, sort of a sole uh, person working on it. Um, I, you know, I like to bring out the best in people, obviously, and, you know, leading leaders and coaching. I really enjoy, I enjoy the relationship. I, I enjoy having a two-way dialogue and I really listen carefully. So one of the things that I think I'm known for is deeply listening. Um, so I do like to talk a lot, Nick, so I can say that, which is good because I do a lot of talking in the job, but I have equal parts of listening and I listen carefully and I try to understand and put myself in, in the other person's shoes um, as an HR person, our job is to really help the business achieve all the goals, right? So it's, you know, um, I recently said, you know, HR is your partner, not the police, right? So there's certain parts of the function that we do need to govern things, but I want to make sure that it feels much more like we want the business to come to us and say, this is the, the business problem we're trying to solve, or this is the help that we need. Can you work with us? Um, and that that is, you know, my preference. I think that um, moving the needle and, you know, um, becoming a, and keeping up with the times is really important. And so I think we always have to push the envelope, especially as leaders, to be looking five miles ahead. And so it's so easy to get caught up and we all have really busy jobs in what you're doing here and now. But I think it's making sure that you take a slice of your time and make sure you're looking forward and planning forward. And right now, that's what I'm deeply thinking about as we're thinking about our 2024 goals as an organization and how we support the business. And, uh, you know, there's certain things that the business needs us to, you know, sort of continuously improve, but there's other things that we want to do a step change. And so I think that um, making sure that our whole organization is understanding and clearly 
um, we're able to clearly articulate our expectations of people is really important and making sure people feel that they have an opportunity to contribute. So we, the great news is we have so many aspirational goals and we want to become an employer of choice in our industry that it really affords a lot of our HR teams and even more widely our businesses, a, a tremendous amount of opportunity to contribute at every level. So I think that's an exciting part of the job is making sure that people feel that they are um, thriving in their careers, right? And so I think that has a lot to do with an associate's own personal aspiration. And to a large extent, it's the manager's responsibility to make sure that associates are able to achieve those um, aspirations that they have. And then, of course, the company will support that framing guidelines and those types of things and, and programs. Um, so I think it's, um, I'm, I'm really proud to work at a company that I don't think I've met anybody, Nick, here at Cognizant that doesn't have a really um, great aspiration for their career, which is terrific. A lot of people are very aspirational and they're willing to do what it takes to get to the next level or aspire to um, a future position. So it's exciting to work in that environment. Um, it's challenging in some ways too, because I think that, um, you know, everybody's aspirations. I think we have to broaden it. What we're working on is broadening out the definition of what does it mean to have a career? Sometimes that means lateral movement. Sometimes that means taking a developmental assignment. Sometimes that means taking a project. Um, it's not simply about getting promoted to the next level. Um, so that's, that is a lot of what we're focused on. And the other piece that we're really focused on is skilling our organization, because if you think about, you know, skills are changing and the shelf life of skills has reduced tremendously. And I know you know this in your reading. So it's not just about skilling up to get to the next level, it's skilling up to stay relevant in your own position. So uh, that that's certainly something that we're focused on. Especially now with the arrival of the level of innovation and technology we're seeing, it, it, which is seemingly only accelerating, particularly around AI, I think that's absolutely uh, true. I, I like that idea of HR being an enabler of uh, employees re reaching their aspirations. You know, that's a really lovely framing of language. And there's there's something also about um, the role of technology. Um, sometimes I think um, there's a risk that uh, the narrative is predominantly around technology enables you to do more with less. Um, and I think sometimes that that misses the point a little bit, which is touching on what you were saying, which is, you know, that ability to think strategically or to um, have when you're on hot, uh, vacation, have time to uh, think or uh, when you have time to exercise your time to think, etc. We also want technology to enable people to do um, less sometimes because it gives space. It gives people the opportunity. Going back to that, that uh, comment you made earlier about burnout, I, I think there was a, a, a genuine reality for an awful lot of people that they were being asked to do 120% capacity work. And that inevitably leads to a place where people can't succeed. Whereas actually what we know from the research is to get peak performance, sustainable peak performance, we want people to be doing kind of 80% of their bandwidth because that gives space to then actually think. And the art of thinking is incredibly important in creativity and productivity and relationship building and innovation. And I hope that some of the innovation and technology will enable that 20% to be found for people in their day-to-day -day work as much as creating um, their ability to cover more ground. You know, we want people to be creative and innovative in their own jobs, but we actually need them to be creative and innovative 
to serve our clients. So what we really want is our associates to come forward to a client and say, you know, I know you have this problem, but here's some other innovation that we have. So it's offering it up to a whole set of different industries and companies. And so staying relevant is, you know, important so that we make sure that we have the right skilled people at the right place for, um, to meet all of our client demands, which are changing rapidly. Um, so it offers a lot of opportunity. It's, you know, along with the challenge of keeping pace with it, it offers so much opportunity for people and there's new jobs being created, you know, the, the idea of a prompt engineer with, uh, you know, with generative AI never existed very short time ago, right? So what's exciting is we will have, we'll see new jobs. I think there's new pathways to be had. So it's, it's really an exciting time to be in technology. I completely agree with you. Um, I'd love to, to ask um, you about the experience of managing a large population in India as uh, as part of your global workforce. There's such a large population there that um, the culture of the company within the Indian offices and population, how does that inform, well, two things, how do you have to think about your work in order to be um, rolling out programs and strategies that are culturally um, going to resonate? And equally, how does having such a large population in India impact on the culture of the way Cognizant thinks about topics from performance to well-being to work-life balance? Our India uh, Benefits Department has done a terrific job in really getting families involved in their well-being activities, which I have been super impressed. And so we have a very competitive organization, right, in a good way, very healthy competitions around, um, you know, becoming healthy and doing things like that. So we've we've done these annual challenges for years um, and we've gotten some awards for them. And so and some of it has to do with in, engaging your family with you. So it's a very familial culture. And so you can see that transcends into the company. Right. A lot of people have known each other. They know each other's families. Um, it's, you know, multi-generations living in the same household. So actually what associates do for the company, it's almost like their whole family does that for the company. That's very interesting. So it, it creates a really interesting dynamic. And so um, you have a whole set of families that are behind the company in it. So it's not really a worker. It's really a, the worker plus the extended family um, that supports that worker, which is, which has been fascinating. I think my favorite parts of my job is traveling and I love my travels to India. In fact, I'm planning another trip. I probably can't get there enough, Nick, honestly. Um, but uh, we have a terrific, you know, HR team in India um, and we have a terrific, uh, you know, HR team around the globe that supports India and the rest of the world too. Um, what I would say is that it's um, somewhat of um, our our upbringing was a huge Indian population. India will always be an important part of our um, our culture, and so I think the way that people think about each other and treat each other is is um, in a very kind, respectful, and so you see the culture coming through. Um, they also care deeply about each other, so it's, some of these things are somewhat natural, um, which is which is terrific. Um, the mental health ally program, as an example, we had so many volunteers in HR. We had more volunteers than we needed, which is a good problem to have, actually, um, because it it just speaks to sort of the way that the culture is. It's a very hardworking and very very um, committed workforce. Very passionate. I get very excited, and I spend time every time I go to India with our recent graduates. So we hire thousands of graduates um, every single year from universities. 
And these graduates, it's just amazing how many skills they have and how excited they are to join the workforce. It's, it is contagious. And so um, to build, you know, heritage in a company, we have a lot of people that have been here all the way from university all the way now until they're leaders. And so it's that feeling of being part of something um, way beyond sort of the job and the day to day um, and, and being super proud. I think the company in general had been very entrepreneurial, right, as a startup. And I, you still see that entrepreneurial spirit today. And we're this giant Fortune 200 company. So it's harnessing all that entrepreneurial spirit and making sure it's, um, you know, it's we're having our our clients get the benefit. And that's what clients love about us. We're super flexible. We bring ideas to them. Um, we have deep industry domain experience. So if you're in healthcare industry, we have a lot of healthcare experts. If you're in the financial and banking, we have a lot of experts there. And so um, I think that, you know, what I would say is our, our company really enjoys the, you know, the fulfilling, there's a fulfillment that everybody gets here of meeting our client needs. I love that. The, the, some of the language that's coming through is like fulfillment and purpose and family and um they're such important um, words for people feeling well in their life and feeling connected to their day-to-day -day life. Um, so it's, it's, it's lovely to hear. You've spoke about thinking strategically. If you're looking forward, let's say, to 2030, what do you imagine the world of Cognizant looking like in 2030? And perhaps more broadly, what do you imagine the world of HR looking like in 2030 in comparison to today? It's such a big question. And... Um... So some of it's not known, right? So that's that's the first thing. We have to be comfortable with the unknown, Nick, first of all, right, and adjust. And I think with disruptive technologies like generative AI, we need to make sure that we're agile because what we know today will change next year. Um, but what we know is that we're going to become much more productive. So we'll, we will be able to do with co-pilots and things like that much more. And so the idea is that we can provide so much more value we have a lot of companies that are looking to service providers like Cognizant and others to help them think this through. So not only are we disrupting ourselves, but we're we're helping companies as they're going through this disruption. Um, so I think that that's going to continue to be a theme for the next five years, maybe faster. Um, the when we moved, you know, from a technology to the cloud, which everybody is a lot very familiar with, it happened at a certain pace, and I think the prediction is that generative AI will be faster. So it. What's interesting about technology it keeps becoming faster. So we can definitely see that that will be a continuous theme. I think we're going to see the emergence of a lot more different types of jobs and different pathways into technology. So technology now, you know, if you think about ChatGPT, it's available to everybody in the world, right? And so, you know, you had previously had to be a programmer or somebody who is fairly technical to get access to information that now is at the fingertips of everyone. So, um, and we're just at the very beginning. So I think that it's going to be an exciting time. It'll be a time where we have companies have to remain agile. Um, and there'll be companies that are early adopters and, you know, people that are in the middle and then other industries that maybe don't, you know, adapt over time. But I think everybody will take advantage of this. And I think it's capitalizing on this um, and making sure that we do it in an ethical, responsible way. So I think we all hear about ethical AI and making sure that the human in the loop, there's always going to be judgment, right? So, um, you know, it's 
making sure that associates or, or employees in general understand where their positions, you know, is still very, very important, right? So technology enables things and makes things simpler and faster, but nothing will replace human judgment in the end. There'll always be something that requires humans. Um, so I think it's going to be, you know, clearly a lot of, um, you know, newer generation with newer ways of wanting to, I mean, Gen Z is, you know, sort of jumping into the workforce at a pretty rapid pace and they have a very different view on things than their leaders. So I think listening is going to, is really, really critical. And so a once a year employee engagement survey doesn't do enough listening. So uh, we have to really make sure that we keep uh, our pulse on what associates are really, what's on their minds, what are they thinking and adjust our policies, adjust, you know, things as we go. Um, I think the future is bright. I mean, I think it's a really exciting time to be in the workforce and, um, and we'll, you know, we will take, um, the change as it comes and adapt to it. Um, I think in HR in particular, um, back to your other question, I think that it's, it's really going to be moving up the value stack of strategic HR. Um, that's been happening for many, many years, but I think that the true partnership that an HR person will provide in problem solving and helping the business achieve its results will be much less transactional. All of that, a lot of it's you know automated in companies, but I still think there's a lot more room for process improvement and technology advancement. For example, we just put a chat bot up during our performance management process, and within a few hours, we had a thousand hits. So there is a thirsting for the information because it's so much easier to ask a chat bot something simple versus giving a phone call or putting a ticket somewhere. So um, you know, that's just one small example. So we'll enable technology um, in the onboarding experience. We onboard um, thousands of people. And so that's one of the areas in recruiting that you can give information to candidates in a much more effective way. Um, and that way that, you know, you have, um, you know, the recruiters actually working on the outlier situations or planning, doing more workforce planning and those types of things. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I think that optimism comes through as well. And I, I share that optimism. I think specifically in the in the world of well-being as well, there's going to be incredible uh, uh, momentum uh, as we can uh, provide greater personalization, uh, greater accessibility, greater anonymity, um, better clinical care and clinical outcomes through the use of, of technology. And I think AI is going to be totally transformational, actually, around this topic, both helping managers to lead better, create more psychologically safe environments, um, but also helping individual employees access the care that they're seeking uh, as well. Um, so I'm very, very excited about that as well. And, and again, through, through the data that can be driven out, uh, th through that technology as well, really helping to quantify the value of investment in HR technology around human well-being and health, and therefore, in 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 doing that, making it become more strategic um, in, in its essence as well. So I share your enthusiasm, Kathy. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute uh, privilege speaking with you, and thank you for sharing your your many insights uh, with me. I really appreciate it. Um, and, and is there anything before we wrap up that you wanted to share? Um, um, with the listeners. Uh, thank you so much, um, Nick. I think that um, what I would just share is that, um, you know, well-being, you know, in particular, since we we talked about that, is so critical and making sure that people 
Um, don't feel a stigma, I think is something that all of us practitioners need to continue to do. And I think some cultures have more stigma than others. Um, and I think making sure that people feel really safe to speak up and get help is, I think, the, the thing that I see the most opportunity. And I think we have a long way to go. Um, and I'm really excited about <clears throat> seeing the programs that are out in the world and the ones that we're doing at Cognizant. But I think that destigmatizing mental health is, has to be a top priority for every company. And I'm certainly, it's on the top of my list. I totally agree with that. And I think that um, you're right, this, the level of stigma does vary around the world in, in quite surprising and interesting ways, sometimes um, uh, positively, sometimes negatively. So for example, I think there's more stigma around mindfulness in some Western countries than there is in some countries in the East, um, whereas <laughs> there, um, which, which is uh, really interesting and, and actually, um, pulling in on the strengths of the relationship that different cultures have with mental health is a really important part to overcoming stigma. But I also think that AI, again, can play a, a helpful role in enabling people who might feel there's too much stigma around the topic for them to feel comfortable to reach out, to be able to reach out in an anonymized way that means that they don't feel there's a barrier to them accessing care. And I think that's one of the, the ways in which AI will be very transformational. But I always think that every leader in a business also, be it uh, a manager, be it um, an executive, or be it the, the uh, CEO, has a role to play in normalizing the topic of mental health um, to really help smash down that stigma. Because as we're talking about future generations coming in, not only do we owe it to them to create a workplace where there is less stigma, but they also expect it of us that we are not creating a workplace where there is stigma as well. So, um, but Kathy, thank you so much. Thank you, Nick. It was a pleasure. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do uh, tune in for uh, our coming episodes where we have some really exciting guests. And wherever you get to your podcast, please do subscribe for future episodes as well. Thank you so much. <laughs>